got to move this step, sorry, otherwise I'll be really high up here. Really tall, I guess, to be precise, since one of my former teachers are here. Should make sure to use the proper word there. I won't be really high. I am from Berkeley, but I usually do not preach high, just for whatever it's worth. So, <clears throat> what's that? No, it's okay. I'm glad. I'm a, uh, I was talking, I got to meet uh, uh, Pastor Beeler, right? I guess the right, make sure I got the right name there. Okay. And uh, I was mentioning to him that I'm something of an eclectic mix, so I uh, preach twice on Sundays. I pastor, and so it's kind of a mix of a stoic congregationalist with a little bit of fire of Pentecost, and my PhD advisor is a very eccentric Talmudic Jewish scholar, and the last week I butchered a sheep from my own field and cut the thing up, so I've got a lot of weird stuff going on, but I'm really happy to be here. So just, uh, just kind of all of that marinates together, and here we go. So. Uh, it's a delight to be here with folks um, and the cooperating Christian churches. Oh, I'm also the treasurer for that endeavor, so I'm the, the money guy, writes all the checks and gets all the blame for who didn't get paid, but whatever. So, <clears throat> Micah. This passage is one I'm, I'm sure you've heard um, it preached from maybe once, maybe twice, maybe many times. But it's one of those passages that I think is good to revisit in the new year while everybody's still thinking about, hmm, what should we be doing this year? What do I want to do different? And if you look at the, the historical context for the reading today, it uh, basically starts off with Micah provoking, if you will, the children of Israel saying, you need to reflect, think about what you're doing. Um, your current trajectory doesn't really line up with who I called you to be, who I chose you to be. You need to stop and take some time to recalibrate. Now, one of the interesting things I've learned in pastoring is that people seem to be in some sense, rather the same from long, long ago to today. And here we see this because the text that we heard today is the response of these folks when the prophet says, hey, stop and recalibrate what you're doing. Then, as now, people generally don't like that kind of thing. They want someone to come and reaffirm and pat them on the back and let them know, yep, you're doing it exactly like you're supposed to. You were right all along. I mean, come on, be honest. We love to hear somebody say, you know what? You were right. And here they respond to this prophetic challenge with Drama of the highest order. Drama queens are not a modern invention. They were there in Micah's day. 
Because their response is, well, what do you want, God? Want us to come in and bow down and bring you a burnt offering and offer up some choice cows? Or I know, God, maybe you want thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, or do you want me just to sacrifice my kids? Is that what you want? Right, come on, I mean, you can see it's just escalating. It's just building from coming to worship to, God, you want me just to, I'll just give you my firstborn kid. Now, the prophet here seems rather adept at dealing with drama queens because he doesn't budge. He says, paraphrase here, stop. Stop, stop, stop. You know what the Lord has told you. What is good? Stop with all of this nonsense about 10,000 rivers of oil. When I came to you and said, hey, recalibrate, I wasn't talking about God expecting something absurd from you, something overly dramatic. God is just interested in goodness sometime go back and read there's a beautiful echo here to the creation story god creates the heaven and the earth and the stars and all the the plants and the animals you know what god keeps saying when he sees all of this stuff it's good we would have thought something like wow amazing wow profound shock and awe i don't know but god says it's good it's good and the prophet challenges the people. Their retort is this huge, dramatic response. The prophet comes back and says, no, this is just about God seeking goodness. Unless you wonder what that is or try to turn it into something even more dramatic, let me unpack goodness for you. And the prophet does this with three verbs, three commands or actions he tells them do justice act justly in our reading today not think about it right this is a call to live as god's people in the world god's people in the world are not disembodied minds that simply reflect on things i noticed today you brought your skin with you We are not just here in spirit. We are here in body. And bodies are important. Some trajectories within Christianity often float off into the ethereal. Some of these folks back then had that same tendency. And the prophet, with his first injunctive, his first command to them about doing what is good, grounds it in flesh and blood. The writer in James will echo this same thing. See somebody that's hungry, that's cold. Tell them, oh, go in peace. The Lord bless you. They're still hungry. They're still cold. The writer here says, do justice. And we don't have time to fully dive into all of these things. My hope today is to maybe spur some thought in your heart, in your mind, that you can think about this later during the week. But biblical justice is not really the same thing as what most of our contemporary society thinks about justice. The American justice system has very little to do with justice. It should be called the American punishment system. 
Right? The goal is, you did something bad, we're going to make you pay for it. That's not really biblical justice. Biblical justice is balancing things out. Now, you do get hints of it. I don't want to pick on the American justice system. Go to the Supreme Court, and you have lady justice with the blindfold and the scales. Right? It's about balance. It's about restoring. It's about bringing back uh, that which is out of sync or out of place. This is God's program of justice in our world to seek out those areas where things are not in right alignment. And the prophet says, don't bring 10,000 rivers of oil. Just look around you and see where things are out of balance and you have the opportunity and the wherewithal to help bring things back into balance, into conformity with God's notion of goodness. Do it. Right? I mean, this is really basic. If, you, if you're stealing things, stop taking stuff that doesn't belong to you. Right? Sometimes church, we make it like really, really complicated, really theological. Theologians are great for this. We invent huge words. Oops, I just put myself in, that, in the theologian box. I'm actually an anthropologist, not a theologian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. What? People will ask me, so do you believe in the participatory so, uh, soteriology or uh, substitutionary atonement? I mean, they get just like multiply because the bigger the word is, the more profound it has to be. Here it's simple, justice. If you're punching people in the face, stop. Your mom knows all this stuff. He's mine, dead. She didn't use complicated words. It's like, stop taking that. It's not yours. Put it back. That's justice. Justice is bringing balance to things. Uh, in the biblical sense, it's really a, a call to participate in God's ongoing work to right the things that are out of balance. It's not nostalgia, and it's important to note. Uh, justice is not wishing for the good old days. It's about making these days good. Right? And there's a big difference between those two things. My grandmother, uh, when she was about 90, reminded me one day about these good old days. Um, I popped off and made some stupid comment about the good old days, and she looked at me. She was born in 1918, and she said, you know, I kind of like electric irons. <laughs> On her mantle, she had two of those old cast iron irons. I still have them. You know, the kind you had to put on the stove, and then you lick your finger and touch that thing to see. So be careful about justice and nostalgia. It's the Lord is looking for good now. And then he moves to the second piece. He says, not only do justice... This middle one's a weird one. Doesn't say be merciful. He says love mercy. And every time I read this passage, I wonder, what does that look like to be a lover of mercy? Now, the word here is difficult to translate. Some of Bible translations, depending on what you have, might say loving kindness. Chesed in Hebrew, it's a 
difficult word to just move right over into English, but it's something like grace, something like mercy, something like loving kindness. It's God's intervention in Scripture on behalf of someone else. I'll give you an example. It's an imperfect analogy, but one that at least kind of pushes us in the right direction. On my phone, I have this delightful little app that lets me collect things from Starbucks. And after a while, every once in a while, rare occasion, this should not happen to you very often, every once in a while, a little message will pop up and it will say, you have earned a free drink. You've collected so many stars. Now, first of all, that's a weird thing to say. You have earned a free drink, but it's Starbucks. It's not God. Right? That's not grace. I earned it. Right? They're tricking you. I bought way too many cappuccinos. <laughs> and now they're giving me a free one. That's, that's not mercy and grace. Something closer to mercy and grace is when you step up to the counter or you go to the drive-thru and they say, oh, person before you bought your drink for you. You're set. Now that's chesed, right? That's an action on behalf of someone else to bless them, to extend grace to them. Maybe they didn't even deserve it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever participated in this. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do so. You have no idea who you're buying the drink for. And I'll confess, sometimes when I'm in the, the drive-through line someplace and I'll do this, and I think, oh, I hope they're not a jerk behind me. <laughs> <laughs> then I have to stop and realize, that's not why you're doing this. Maybe they are a jerk and this is really what they need is a free cup of coffee. That's hesed. But the writer says, love that. If you want to participate in the good that God is looking for, the good of God's creation, you need to learn to cultivate a heart that revels in this kind of thing, that revels in kindness, that delights in mercy. And often I, that's one of these questions I keep asking myself, am I a lover of mercy? not just someone who's occasionally merciful, and I love it when I get mercy, but a lover of mercy. And then he adds one more piece to round this out. Do justice, love mercy, and then just walk humbly with God. Walking, especially in the Scripture, is not just a matter of getting from one place to another. But it's a beautiful symbol in the scripture for relationship. If you remember in the garden, the Lord comes to walk with Adam and Eve. One of the most interesting characters in the Bible, even though he has just a little short entry, spawns all kinds of other books and myths and stories. Our dear friend Enoch walks with God. And then he just disappears. God carries him off somewhere. Abraham is called to walk with God. 
And walking with God is crucial to participating in the good that God is doing. Because the surest sign that things are going to get off track and into trouble is when I decide that I know best and I'm smarter than God. If you go back and revisit again the Genesis story, what you see is the original sin, if you will, is not the taking of the fruit. That's already downstream. The original sin is not trusting in the goodness of God. It's this human inclination. I can't trust God's plan. I have to take my destiny into my own hands. That's the hydra head, so to speak, that all these other things flow from. It's this feeling that somehow I have to grasp my own destiny. I have to make my way in the world. I have to secure my future. I have to save myself. Micah says, stop the drama. The Lord, if you go back and read the earlier part of this chapter, is the one who brought you out of Egypt, who led you, who guided you to this place. If you're wondering, how are we going to get from here to there, from this present state into the goodness that God envisions, you're going to get from here to there the same way that you got from there to here. That is, by humbly walking with your God, allowing your God to lead you and guide you, to sustain you. Some days... This is, not, this is for the preachers, I guess. Some days I think, God, deliver us from Messiah complexes. Right? I am not the Messiah. There is already a Messiah. I need to learn to walk humbly with God. The psalmist has this beautiful refrain. Psalm 118 and 23, his repeated declaration is, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Our God today is a God of goodness. From Genesis to Revelation, his purposes, his plans, his projects center on the good, the whole, the complete. Again and again in Scripture, we read about this God who pursues creation to bring things back into balance, to heal, to renew. And in this project, he calls people to reflect his light, to be his hands, his feet, his physical presence in our world. And every once in a while, we have to pause January is a good time to do that and say, wait a minute. I am called to be a part of God's people on earth. What does that look like? Because it's not just sometimes we get confused. I think sometimes getting back to this theme of liking the complicated, it's not just theologians. 
Sometimes it's also regular, everyday Christians in the pews. Because if I got up here today and I said, guess what? If you really want to partner with God, you need to write a million-dollar check. <laughs> Most of us would be like, he's not talking to me. So I don't have it. I'm off the hook. Right? Now, if you've got a million dollars and want to write the check, by all means, do it. The other thing I've learned, pastors never turn down offerings. But in any case, I would have said, you know, if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to be perfect. No mistakes ever. Again, most of us would say, he's not talking to me. I'm off the hook. I said, you need to bring 10,000 rivers of oil. I'm off the hook. But guess what? You're not off the hook. Because God's just looking for good. And you can participate in good. You can participate in justice. You can be a lover of mercy. And you can walk humbly with God. So my challenge to us today... We celebrate Christian unity and our work in this world. We enter into 2019. Let's cut out the drama and remind ourselves it's not that complicated. Now, it's a lifelong endeavor to be a disciple of Jesus. It takes work, but it's not outside of our reach. Through the power of the Spirit, through the worship and the community of other believers, through the preaching of God's Word, we have been equipped to participate in the good. I want to be a lover of mercy and kindness. I want to participate in justice. This is not abstract today. It's something that is doable. It's something that is well within our capacities. So if you are like me, like some of these folks in Micah's day, prone to drama, today's a good day to just say, wait a minute, am I making too many excuses? Have I overcomplicated this thing so that I feel like I get a free pass? Right? As a pastor, this is what I have people tell me. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not perfect. I can't do... Say, stop. Do you love God? Do you love other people? Let us begin there. And let us walk humbly with God as God's goodness continues to break into our world as we look for that great day that the prophets speak about when the knowledge and the mercy and the grace of the Lord shall fill the entire earth. Amen.